Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick second to shout out our friends at QDB.com. That's C-U-E-D-B.com. QDB is a cloud-based software that allows you to make your own customizable cue lists for spotting, composition, orchestration, mixing, and cue sheet delivery. If you'd like to try it out, use the code COMPOSERTALK for 15% off for one year. A music composition alum of Loyola University in New Orleans and USC's film scoring program, our next guest, he's been described as a musical chameleon by composer Ludwig Göransson, who he's assisted and most recently worked alongside with co-scoring Bad Trip, available now on Netflix. With Ludwig, he's also contributed additional music on Andrew Tribeca, The Mandalorian, and he wrote and performed Rainbows, Unicorns, Everything Nice for Trolls World Tour. <laughs> He's currently working away on Disney Plus's The Mysterious Benedict Society, co-scoring the show with Teddy Shapiro. I'm excited to welcome on composer Joseph Shirley. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it, Matthew. Thank you for having me. For sure. It's nice to see you. And yeah, I think we might have briefly met at like, was it like the Variety Film Music event a couple years ago? Or yeah. Something. Yeah, yeah, Um That that would have been, it, it was probably something during the campaign for Black Panther that Ludwig was uh, campaigning for the Oscar there. Right. Yeah, but it's yeah. great to just see everything that's uh, it's been going on for you. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. It's it's been uh, it's been quite a journey, and it's never uh, never been boring. That's for sure. So so yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. So I wanted to just start by asking about your relationship with music, and like if uh-huh. there was any moment where you first discovered you know love for music making or, or just listening to the stuff. Yeah. Um... I would say, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember this, but supposedly, you know, my parents were saying that when I was a little kid, I was always playing the piano, you know, and trying to figure out songs um, as a little boy. Uh, so, so I've, you know, the piano has, I've always been drawn to the piano, for sure. Uh, so, you know, I studied piano in my childhood and everything, and had a love for it then. As far as music for media, well, it was kind of funny, but I, th- I think what really got me on the hook for doing film scores and, and writing music for a visual media was a, a class par- project back in high school. I, I have an amazing, brilliant aunt who taught many, like basically me, all my brothers and all my friends and everybody who went to our high school that she, she was, a, she is a brilliant English teacher. And uh, it was, it was a project on Huckleberry Finn. We, we were studying that book. I think it was 10th grade or, so, or ninth grade or something. And we, yeah, we made a, a film out of it. We, so I wrote a musical, I wrote a bunch of songs, and then a friend of mine had a camera, you know, his parents' camera, and uh, we we casted it, and, you know, we, we had a group, it was basically a group project, and we made this musical of Huck, Huck Finn. That's awesome. Um, and it was really, it's, I haven't, you know, seen it since then, but I remember it, us thinking that it was just so awesome, you know, but... Uh, if if we were to watch it now, it'd probably be pretty pretty terrible. But it was it was uh, quite a quite a um, introduction into like at least working on music and falling in love with music accompanying something in a, in the visual realm. So I, I really 
latched onto it then with that project. So, so I owe, I owe everything to my aunt Cleta, Cleta Ellington. She's, she's an amazing lady. Amazing. <laughs> but the, yeah, that's kind of, that was the start for film, you know, film music for me was back then. And then kind of just went from there, my, my days in, in New Orleans and then, you know, coming out here to right. LA. Out of curiosity, what type of music were you listening to like during like high school? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always really liked to listen to a lot of different stuff. I mean, as, as do a lot of musicians and composers. Um, so I, I've always had a fascination with classical music for sure. And I've studied that. Um, and it, you know, it seems to never end the, the things that, uh, you haven't experienced yet, you know, so there I'm constantly going back to classical music that back then I was listening to classical a lot. And then, um, I was playing in a lot of like blues bands. Like I, I was born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, the blues is just a, a major, major part of my upbringing there, and and just that area of you know in the states in general. So I mean, I was surrounded by cool you know R and B and blues bands and gospel groups and stuff like that. So I, I really fell in love with with like Black American music. That's like that was my introduction to playing in bands really and um just still have a, a distinct love for that and you know that that's another endless well of just amazing you know heartfelt amazing inspirational stuff and and just uh yeah so I mean I, I was playing you know in bands back in high school and, and that sort of thing and that you know I think that's what got me at least going in in both realms like trying trying to study my classical but also listening to you know music that is more of the pop realm or, you know, folk music and things like that. Gotcha. Yeah. So you had this music company and you were a working composer after <laughs> what made you want to go to like the USC film scoring program, even though you, you, it seemed like you had work already, right? Uh, yeah, but you know, it's, you, you want to be at ground zero, you know, um, you want to like at that time. So it was me and a friend of mine who also studied composition. Uh, we, we were the only two, composition students at our school Loyola in New Orleans is fa fabulous music department but nobody nobody was brave enough to go into the composition program <laughs> so he and I did it we were the only two that graduated that that year in that program and uh we did yeah we decided to start that company and we we were doing a lot of short films and advertisements and commercials and mm -hmm. things like that um but I, I I always knew my heart was set on coming out here you know and I I wanted to um I wanted to yeah, ju just take the leap and and see see about following this dream a little bit more seriously. Another big facet, uh, you know, I have to I do have to give a shout out to my partner Stephanie, who was a major factor in uh, you know wooing me to come out to Los Angeles because she was living here at the time and we were dating for a couple years while I was in New Orleans, and. Uh, and yeah, so, so I, I came out here and, and followed that dream too. And we, now we're getting married in like a month. So that's great. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I owe a lot of the, the good stuff in my life to the important women in my life for sure. It's awesome to hear. <laughs> and then, I mean, I, I went back to the, the episode I did with Teddy um, just a little while ago now. Uh, and I asked him uh -huh. about what made Ludwig stand out when he was looking for an assistant. So I was kind of curious to ask you about what you think made you stand out when Ludwig was looking for someone. I, you know, you may have to ask him about that. I, <laughs> uh, Ludwig has, he's a dear friend and 
I, uh, you know, I've worked for him for for a long time, and we've been through so much together. I think at the beginning, he he really needed someone who's who was dependable and someone who could, um, who who at least was ready to just go full tilt a hundred percent for him. Um, and I had just graduated from the USC program, which is also the same program that he went through. So he kind of, I think there, there was a bit of, you know, just trust there that, you know, if, uh, if, if you've come through the same system that, that he had at that time, you know, back before he started working for Teddy, uh, maybe there, there was a bit of a trust there. And then, um, and I think he wanted somebody that, was comfortable in working with a lot of different styles. And I, I definitely like to do that, you know? Um, so yeah, it, I'm sure it was a couple different things, but I'm, I'm just so happy he uh, brought me on. Cause it, that was just like such an amazing life changing experience, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just cool to see how, uh, you and I mean, I guess you and Teddy now too, just co-scoring. Um, it right. like there was like a really close kind of relationship going on and, that nice little studio there. You know, it is. It, yeah, it's it's a it feels more like a family. You know, I mean, they and the, you know, Teddy and Ludwig are, are both just like um, that. I still they're my mentors. I still look up to them so much. You know, but I'm I'm excited that we're now collaborating on projects like like this, like Bad Trip or with Teddy with with Mysterious Benedict Society. It's it's a, it's more of a collaborative effort, and uh, it's it's exciting to get to work with them on that sort of level now too. You know, it's. Um, yeah, they're just, they're still very large parts of, uh, of my work life and my, you know, my career and everything. And I, I just, you know, enjoy that friendship so much for sure. Mm. Yeah. And out of curiosity, so like when you, you know, start over there, like, did you have any, like, were you nervous at all? Like on like the first day or did you feel like there were things? Oh that, my God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was, uh, I was very familiar with, with Teddy's work and, um, I was getting quickly, uh, accustomed to, to Ludwig's work at the time. And like, I knew he was working on, uh, Creed, basically the first, the first film that Ludwig was doing when I uh, started there was, was Creed. Right. And, um, it was just before the scoring dates for that. We, we had two weeks blocked out or I believe it was like separated by a week, but like two, uh, you know, like two weekends of recording dates at Warner brothers already on the books. Wow. And I started maybe a week before that. So like as an assistant, you come in and, you know, one of you, like the most important job basically you do for the person you're working for is printing all the cues out, you know, preparing the sessions and that sort of thing, which I knew how to do on a certain level and under a certain, you know, depth of like the scope, you know, I sort of like understood the task, but I did, you know, what I didn't know what I was stepping into is just how, you know, to to print out and to prepare like a full feature length film, it's quite a bit of work. So it totally, it kind of caught me off guard and I, you know, managed to get through it, but it was, uh, I would definitely say I was intimidated at first for sure. Yeah. Uh, with, with the tasks and just, just being around these guys that I just looked up to so much, you know? Right. But yeah, so I, I was definitely nervous, but, um, I, after you get through one, then you get through the next one and you kind of get a little bit more confidence with it and you kind of, you know, you know, you know what they need, you know, when they need it and that sort of thing. And then hopefully what you want to have happen, which I feel grateful has happened for me is like along the way, they start trusting you more and having you help them with their projects and, you know, filling more of a creative role. Um, and you know, let it, let it grow from there. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's funny how like a lot of those, yeah, early on tasks, like, um, 
yeah, you, you see the people who who get to get or who who get asked about like the assistant ships from there just are the people who you know do start off with coffee or start off with the small tasks and then yeah building that trust is so important because really once you break it once you know then it's probably game over in the composer world sadly like it's really you need to i mean you put a lot of trust into your team the people around you and and you rely you rely on them to to help you out in so many ways that like a lot of times um yeah, it, it's just it's one of those things that you you just got to have your everybody's back. Everybody's got to have each other's back, you know, and you got to have um a lot of faith in in folks and everything. Um but yeah, you you uh you start out doing the, you know, maybe as like a sidebar, like I have friends who are who are doing very well out here too that decided not to go the assistant route, you know. Um I would say for me it it just made a lot of sense and I that's how I chose, you know, that was the, the path that I chose and the path that was presented to me and that I, you know, was happy to, to take on. Um, but they, there are ways to do this, you know, to, to do, to have a career and never work for somebody else, you know, and just sure. do it, do it all on your own. Um, and that's totally possible. It's like everybody's journey is different. I, I would say for me, I was really excited about uh, taking on the assistant, you know, path. And, and learning from people that I looked up to a lot, you know, on, on a close level, like being there, you know, with them yeah. day in and day out, you know. I mean, that's the thing I love about just even this podcast is it's been great to see that, you know, everyone has a different journey. Otherwise, if there was uh-huh. one way to do it, everyone would just copy that. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, it's everybody kind of goes, goes through it the same way. Well, that's another thing, like, there are many people who are successful and working and, and, you know, have good careers that didn't go to this USC program that we keep talking about. Right. But, um, I, for me, it was like one of those things that I, that I just wanted to, wanted to do, I, you know, I respected it so much that I wanted to, you know, take it that route, but it's like, you, you don't have to do that either, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not the one end all be all one, one way to do it, you know? For sure. I'm sure it seems more glamorous from the the outside looking in, in some ways, because it almost seems like <laughs> half the guests on here are uh, USC alum. <laughs> oh, really? Well, shoot, maybe I'm way wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, and I, you know, I should say like, that was like, it was, it was a one year program when I went right, through. Yeah. Um, so it's very action packed. Like, I think they've expanded it to two years by mm-hmm. now, but, uh, it was, it was action packed, very intense on a lot of, you know, as far as getting, you know, all through all the recording sessions, which were amazing, but just the uh, intensity level of that program was like a very good just training process for like what it what it feels like in the in the real world, you know, working working on real projects and everything. Um, it's a it's an amazing program. Like I I can't say a single bad thing about it. You oh, know? That's amazing. I, I really enjoyed my time there for sure. Oh, well, to pivot, I just wanted to talk about Bad Trip now, just because, yeah. I mean, as I mentioned yeah. earlier, I think I've seen it like six, seven times at this point. That is hilarious. It also came out a great time. I was working on like a comedy pitch for something, and I just felt so burnt out that week. And I was talking uh-huh. to my agent about the best comedy scores uh, right now, and I was curious if there's anything that he thought of that came up as like, like, this is an exemplary comedy score to check out. And then <laughs> when I saw Bad Trip, I was like, oh, this is, this is inspiring me not that i want to do anything like that but i just love that it covered so much ground and uh-huh. just like i mean the sweeping romance theme at the top i was like oh maybe i should right. try to you know make something kind of like this without going fully cheese ball uh and then hearing it as a show <laughs> tune and 
Yeah. But even like, my favorite cue in the whole movie is the Chinese finger trap. And just the intensity oh with that that <laughs> bit of music. It was amazing. It was funny. I I did I do remember I tried several things um that were a little bit more um uh, that, that just had a little bit more music to latch latch on to. Um like it, you know, basically took different stabs at that one to play the comedy in different ways. And uh what ended up just sticking is just it's just a percussion cue. <laughs> so I mean, um that that one in particular, that you know, it, what really supported the scene there was was just a ton of percussion, <laughs> um, and just keep that keep that momentum up, and you know, keep the tempo going through that whole wild sequence. <laughs> yeah, and it, I mean, it just has such a deep intensity, like someone's staring into uh, your eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's that that was something. I think on every single cue, it's like if we're going a certain comedy trope route we're going to go that route like 150%. So, you know, it's like with the uh, romantic lyrical love theme, which is also, you know, the show tune, it's like that theme, whenever we play it, we're playing it at a hundred percent each time. And then, you know, for the Chinese finger trap or the gorilla scene, it's like these, we're just going, you know, trying to hit, hit the mark, but like slam it <laughs> and uh, just go, go full tilt with those cues. You know, there was no holding back basically. Right. I mean, I guess in a way, like even like an Angie Tribeca too, kind of plays into like just going fully into it. Um, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, it's like, I think that, that is one thing. There is a lot of comedy in the fact that like uh, there, there's a lot of comedy in playing things really straight, mm-hmm. you know? So um it, just something thinking back, I know, you know, we were talking about Teddy's, some of Teddy's music. It's like he scored Tropic Thunder. And if you listen to that score, it doesn't, you know, it's obviously not a, com- it doesn't sound like a comedy score, but it, it was the perfect score for that movie for how kooky it was for him to just play like very, you know, aggressive action music, uh, you know, like a war, it's a war movie, but um, he, he basically played it straight, you know, and, um, and the music sounds like something out of like a really heavy duty action war movie um but it's really funny because of that you know it's like it's sort of it's not that it's playing against it it's just supporting the comedy by playing it straight you know so so some of the music in bad trip is it sort of takes on that sort of hat you know mm-hmm. for sure yeah very similar circumstances <laughs> yeah e- exactly <laughs> and then yeah, I just want to ask about like the collaboration aspect of uh, a project like this too um i have an idea and I would be curious to, to ask you if like Ludwig ended up doing a lot of the trappier sounding kind of cues and then it was like 50 50 or if it was more like you start a cue and then you send it over to him and vice versa and a bit of working that way. It, it was a little bit of an open-ended sort of process. Mm-hmm. I mean um, Ludwig and I like very, very early on they needed what, what production needed, what Eric and, and the director Keytown needed. They, they wanted that musical cue first you know obviously they needed to shoot with that so like why you you know we did that cue like a year and a half before we actually scored the movie you know they 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 shot that scene like way early on and they needed that music pretty early on in the process so we you know all basically everybody was involved on that one um eric was definitely involved you know eric came up with the the melody uh, you know the actual like um, the melody that he's singing and he sent that over as like a voice memo to me and Ludwig. And so we built this cue out of it. And even, even that show tune, there were all these other sections that <laughs> didn't make it into the movie, but it, it was a lot crazier than how it is now. But, uh, it was just one of those things that like, you could just, you kind of throw everything 
at the wall and see if it sticks. And um, so, so we were working like hand in hand on a lot of on, on a lot of that that piece of music. And then uh, over, you know, as we got more into the bulk of the scoring of the picture, we we would come up with themes and things like that together. And but you know, I would I would take on those themes and like put them throughout the film and that sort of thing. But um, I, I would say that it was um we were more collaborative at the beginning. And then like, as we got further into the bulk of the picture, I was just kind of seeing the project through, you know, mm-hmm. by, by the end of it, when we actually score, we, we did score with a small chamber sized orchestra and, um, Ludwig and I were very much hand in hand there. And, um, you know, he, he was there to give notes and, and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, a, a big facet of this is Eric and, and Kitao. Like they, they were very involved in uh, how they wanted the music to play, where, where they wanted it, you know, with spotting, with, with styles, with, you know, what direction they wanted to go with things. They were, I was, I was very impressed with one, how well-versed they are with music. You know, Eric also went to music school. Like he's a, he's a jazz bass player, you know? So he, sometimes that makes the job harder as a composer when you're, writing music for someone who actually knows what the heck they're talking about, you know, um, and, and can do it, the, you know, the, like basically knows the inner workings of, of music, you know? So it was, it was, uh, it was really fun because of that, because we, we got into some really fun areas creative wise, you know? Um, but yeah, you know, so, so the director and, and Eric were, were both very much involved with like every single cue and how to, you know, how to shape it and, and that sort of thing. They, they had a lot of good ideas. Yeah, it sounds like a very fun collaborative process. Oh, yeah. There, there were some, like, crazy late-night text messages from Eric where he would send me, like, voice memos of, like, hey, what about this? <laughs> and <laughs> I, I swear, I think I still have them because they, they just cracked me up every time I got something. But And there's there are just so many funny uh, music... So, like, there's so many funny songs and cues and stuff that didn't make it in the film that are just, like little gems of uh behind the scenes stuff maybe one day uh maybe one day these will be shared but there there was a lot of funny music that was written for this for this movie that didn't actually make the cut you know some of the deleted scenes and that sort of thing but uh anyway um eric always had a funny idea or two i hope the deluxe soundtrack becomes available soon (laughs) yeah there you go right exactly oh (laughs) <laughs> awesome. Well, before we go into the last segment for the podcast, I just wanted to ask if there are any other bits of uh, Ludwig advice or Teddy advice that have stuck with you that helped you get to this point in your scoring career where you feel comfortable like taking on I mean, pretty big projects now. Yeah. Um, it's hard to like put into words, you mm-hmm. know, cause it's, it's something that is more um, amorphous and just kind of like a feel and a vibe that you kind of pick up from from being you know spending so much time with people you know but i would say yeah i I mean thinking you know to think of ludwig's music and and uh what he's done over the last five or six years you know um which you know which is my time with him like for those six years or so that i was with him i'd never noticed him like ever like he never phones anything in you know, he, he will, if he's, if he's writing a piece of music, he's going to go, he's going to write the best piece of music he possibly can at that moment for that scene, you know? And it, it's something I really respect because you not saying that people do that, you know, not saying that people phone it in, but there are other factors at play that sometimes, you know, are really, the pressure is very high. Like a deadline is, is looming or, um, you know, people are, 
you know, people have given you notes that, you know, maybe you wanted to go a different direction and, you know, so there are other, there are other factors at play that sometimes to really stick to your guns and say like, I'm going to write the most incredible piece of music I possibly can here right now is, uh, it's really, you know, it's very respectable to like keep that, you know, notion always in mind, you know, and Ludwig has always done that. Teddy as well, like 100%. I, what I've learned a lot is just like how how they carry themselves and how they manage these projects. You know, these are um, they're just they're big films with a lot of people. You know, lots of lots of folks chipping in on on creative say on on how to you know how they want things to go. And they both Ludwig and Teddy always come up with something that I think is very very unique. You know, with their music, and uh, it's always catchy and it's always um, memorable you know so like coming up with good themes is like a a major thing that i hope that i can you know carry the torch carry that torch you know away from from them in their in their mentorship you know so yeah like writing good themes is like a big one mm-hmm. that uh that i will i'll always think back to for sure yeah amazing love to hear that yeah 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 uh, well i guess we'll go into the last segment for this podcast a segment called tech talk real stuff a tech topic and you can say as much or as little as you want about it Oh God, oh, tech! I so man, me and tech always—it's a love-hate relationship for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure like these days, because uh, was it 2015, right? For Creed, like I'm sure it's a lot faster to get all those cues out to the stage these days. For sure, things like that. For sure, I love that part for of sure. tech getting better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, first one here is uh, Daw. I work in Cubase for film and TV scoring. Uh, as well as Ableton and Rewire mode, mm-hmm. which uh, they just announced that they're, I think with Rewire, or sorry, with Ableton 11, they're doing away with the Rewire, whatever it is, algorithm capability. I, I don't know what, what to call it, but like basically the way that uh, I work right now, <laughs> maybe in a year or two is going to go to the wayside. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I quickly probably need to start committing to like, working uh the things i would do in ableton for film and tv scoring maybe i need to just commit to like making it all happen in cubase yeah um yeah but but basically um basically ableton is like where i have a lot of audio uh different loops and one shots or you know more of the modern production sounds and things like that usually happen in ableton and then cubase is where most of the midi you know a lot of the orchestra a lot of the synths a lot of the keyboards and, and things like that is the midi is usually on the cubase side for sure yeah yeah i was so bummed about that with live 11 too you know you, you can yeah. turn it on though yeah. um as an fyi she and other read i think things. there's a tweak well that you know a friend of mine sent a t- like a, some way you can like tweak it out and keep that capability going at least through you know ableton 11, yeah I well I, I actually sent uh i think it was teddy a video on how to turn it back on <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Okay. And I think it was to Nathan Matthew David, and then it got forwarded a bunch. Um, okay. Then I think that I got your email too. <laughs> but <laughs> it's funny. It's not Ableton's fault. It's actually Propellerhead. You know, they they made Reason a plugin. Okay. So then they were like, "Hey, let's just do away with this." So uh, we we shouldn't complain to to the Ableton team. We should actually complain to Steinberg and Propellerhead, who created Rewire. If anyone got it. Yeah. Okay. But um. Yeah, I'm trying to figure it's out their fault. I, I think I want to start committing to one DAW soon too. Yeah, well, it would. It really would make things cleaner, yeah. you know. 
um, and just keep everything in one place. The, the only thing is like Ableton is so fun and quick with what it does and it's just like kind of a cool sexy way to do it. Like you can just pitch things so quickly and then like the automation is so easy. You just click on a button and then like that lane pops up. It's just so rad how they do it. Yeah. Um, so I will definitely miss it, but it sounds like we don't, we don't have to get too sad about it, you know, just yet. <laughs> yeah. We'll see in a year or two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, exactly. Next one I have here is guitars. Okay. Uh, well, I, I'm like a really, really bad guitar player, but I do, I can, you know, uh, working in the studio, you can get, get by. You can take as many takes as you want. L- luckily, I'm the only one who's hearing it in its like nascent state, you know. But like, I I always play a uh, strat. I've just got a a, a a strat, and I've got a telly that I just play all the time. Um, a lot of times, I don't know if you can see it, but it, you know, in the back, I've got a little Vox amp that I'll um, I'll either play the guitar through or I'll reamp some things through. But that's that's kind of for like special special needs a lot of times i just play play guitar into the sequencer and and affect it and process it there yeah but but i will say like i'm definitely a keyboard player i i've been able to manage my guitar playing and bass playing a little bit more uh over the years just doing it more but like i'm I'm not a great player (laughs) what about favorite keyboards Ooh, uh i've got one of the moog little fatties that i just love so much i think they've discontinued it Mm -hmm. But uh, it's it's definitely like it's got a warm place in my heart there. I love this Juno. I go to the Juno a lot. What else? I mean, I, I definitely like having keyboards around. You know, I had I got an OB6 somewhat recently, maybe a couple of years ago, I guess. I love that for different pads and like kind of the classic '80s thing. And yeah, I, I like use, trying to use a lot of different stuff. What what I've used so much as of late is some Mellotron. Ooh, nice. Um, I, they actually came out. I really like desktop sense because you can just fit a ton of them on top of your desk and just like, you know, you can have everything at your disposal just like sitting on top of the desktop with you. But uh, I got one of their mini, I can't even remember the model number, but it's like the Mellotron Mini 4000 or something. Yeah. And I, I've been using that like on a daily basis um, just to get that sort of cool analog tape loop type sound, you know. Right. Well, it's funny too because I think they're yeah. digital, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> there did there did yeah i mean i that never makes sense to me like they i think they it, it is an analog keyboard but mm. it's like yeah but you're i'm just plugging you in you know to the wall and you just you have a little led screen uh, yeah i don't get it but supposedly it's analog <laughs> <laughs> it it sounds better than any uh plug-in that i've got though oh nice you know? yeah I, I like going to the you know quote-unquote the real thing yeah as opposed to using a plug-in. It's funny, even like those keyboards you mentioned, they all have, I mean, what is like synth action keys, but just the the response you get from each type of, you know, whatever, whether it be a weighted keyboard or those kinds of semi-weighted, whatever, it can inspire different pieces of music. For sure, for sure. It's, I mean, even just like with the little fatty, the, the action on that keyboard makes me play differently. Right. Um, and it's, especially if you like doing a bass line, you can be you can be very agile with that just because of the the action that's in place, you know. And I actually like the build quality of those Moog keyboards. You know, it just feels it feels right to me. Yeah, it feels like you could um, drop it and it would it would be fine. <laughs> yeah, but like for instance, like my my uh, 
my MIDI controller is like an older Arturia, which I, I really love it, um, but it has fully weighted keys. I, there's something about the fully weighted keys when you're playing like a synth line that just doesn't feel right, hmm. you know, um, at least to me, and, or, or if I'm trying to play, I don't know, something like quick and agile. Yeah. Obviously, physically, it is a slower process to push down a weighted key, but like it also like makes you think differently about the the performance to me. Right. So a lot of times, I do like going to the actual keyboard, uh, whether whether it's a synth or or something else, you know. Right. Yeah, because you could pull up a OB six Omnisphere preset, but it's not the same. It's just not, not the same. That. Yeah. Actually, you mentioned Nathan earlier. He's he's a dear friend of mine, and he um he he's like he's a tone junkie. He, I, I just I respect um, what he does so much because he really commits to like only using the real thing um, mm-hmm. basically on, on everything he does, you know? So you can hear the quality in that music that he, that he writes because he's using all these real authentic instruments. Um, but we were talking and he, he was like, maybe, you know, it's like 15% better or like 10, 15, 20% better when you use the real synth you know and it but where the real impact is like from the process it's just so much more fun to play the real you know synth instrument if you if you're doing that you know instead of just pulling up a, a plug-in yeah it's funny too because i just lent all of my euro rack synths to a, a composer friend uh-huh. and i kind of missed it for a sec um but then i found i was writing more music or like you know getting through cues faster just with the software but yeah again it's just like it, there, there's a, there's pros and cons for sure. Yeah, Another example I'll give you I, is like, yeah. Wait, go ahead. But I was just saying, like, I, I listened to music I made with, like, seeing the studio was made at, even if it was just like you know on a Moog in the closet of you know NYU or something, right? And it's just like, yeah, like you, you connect with the story of you know hanging out with your friends and like around a Moog. Just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a special, special moment for sure. I well. The the other thing that uh, comes into play is like when you do need to make conforms if you've recorded audio oh, yeah. <laughs> on you know it it's it's much harder to um I don't know if if the cue gets needs to get shorter and you have to make a cut out of an audio if you if you got to snip audio and you're doing like a filter pass over that you know it's like you may need to replay that now whereas if it's a you know software synth you can much more quickly make that conform. So there's like gives and take, you know, there, there are give and takes, but, um, you know, you figure out the process that works for you and you commit to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you killed it here with tech talk. Uh, John, <laughs> tell the people uh, what else you got going on. Well, we, we mentioned mysterious Benedict society. Um, I think so. There are a couple projects I'm really excited about, but I don't know if I'm supposed to say them yet. Um, but there, there's a TV show that I'm working on that is really funny that I'm, I'm excited about. And then there, uh, there are a couple of projects, uh, one short film and one feature that I'm, I'm also excited about. But I, I don't know if I, I don't know. I don't know how that all that works, but maybe I shouldn't mention them yet. Um, and then other than that, just, uh, yeah, just enjoying a new studio i'm still kind of setting up the studio here and and having fun with that and you know making it my own and uh but yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at (laughs) nice well it's such a pleasure having you on as a guest thank you matthew appreciate it it was it was a pleasure pleasure talking with you man thank you thanks for listening to this episode of composer talk if you like what we're doing feel free to follow us on instagram or facebook 
The show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible Eric Bard, who's also a talented composer, producer, and mixer. Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong.